of the struggle that goes on. This is external information coming, uh, matching or testing the internal information which Allah has put in every human being when He said, فَعَلْهَمَهَا فُجُورَهَا وَتَقْوَاهَا that every human being who is created has been given an awareness of corruption and of piety. So that evil jinn that is with that indiv- every individual, the qareen, this jinn does not die when you die. The jinn, life of the jinn is longer. So they may be around for a longer period of time. So what happens is that some of these on some occasions, they may enter into the dreams of some people, children, and then they feed information into that child's subconscious of the life of that individual that they had been with. Or it could be from other sources, jinn gather information and feed it into the child's mind uh, through other means. At any rate, The child will then have thoughts and ideas which it may express where it's talking about having lived in another place, having had another name, having lived another life and the incidences that took place in their life and their parents and the town that they lived in and what it looked like and the house and all these kind of details the child may give about a life far away from where they were where people listening to this child would say either the child is lying or the child has been reincarnated and when they go to the place that the child describes they do find out yes there was a young boy or a man who lived there or a woman who lived there by that name and their parents were this and that and this happened and so happened etc and it seems then to them that these people were in fact reincarnated so they think that, but and the child doesn't realize where their thoughts are coming from. And nobody realizes around them. And they just assume that these must be thoughts from their previous life. The child is just relating whatever it is in its, its mind. And this has been introduced by the agency of, a, of the jinn. And what happens is that if you follow the number of occurrences of this type, where children exhibit knowledge of a previous life. These tend to happen in the countries and the areas where people have this belief. So it will happen here in Sri Lanka, where people believe in reincarnation. It will happen in India. It will happen in Lebanon, where the Druze believe in reincarnation. And in other areas of the world where people have this belief. So it happens to reinforce in the minds of the people that belief. Whereas you don't hear about it happening in America, you don't hear about it happening in Europe, or in England, or in other parts of the world where people don't have this belief at all. See, So this is how the jinn tend to operate. They will do these things in the areas where people have these kind of beliefs to reinforce their beliefs. We have, of course, the practice of magic and the general understanding is that magic is through the agency of the jinn, that they have a role to play in it. 
And some Muslims have denied any reality to magic. However, there are sufficient uh, verses in the Quran where Allah speaks about it directly. You know, in the case of Prophet Sulaiman, where they attributed magic to Prophet Sulaiman, and Allah says there, وَلَكِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ كَفَرُوا But it is the devils who disbelieved. يُعَلِّمُونَ النَّاسَ sihra. They taught people magic. And we have in the Quran where Allah tells us to seek refuge in the Lord of the dawn, dawn from a variety of different things among them in sharrin nafathati fil uqad and I seek refuge from the evil of the witches who blow on knots so it has been and we also know the case of Prophet Muhammad where he himself and is recorded in Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Muslim that he was uh, possessed himself by way of magic and it affected his perception of incidents happening as well as depth perceptions where far things appeared close, close things appeared far. He thought he did something when he hadn't done it. He thought he hadn't done something when he did it. This kind of uh, uh, feeling that he had from it. And then of course Allah revealed the last two verses of, of the Quran, what, is, what are known as the Mu'awadatan and uh, he instructed Ali to read these over himself, verse by verse. And when he did so, his, the, the, Ali described that he got up as if he had been tied up, as if he was breaking the bonds that had uh, bound him. So, the reality of magic is something that Muslims, Muslim scholarship for the most part, who follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah. As it was understood by the Sahaba, they had no problem in recognizing, accepting the reality to magic. Those, and there are some scholars of the past, who ended up on deviant tracks. They followed Qur'an and Sunnah, but Whenever Sunnah did not agree with some of the ideas that they held, they denied the Sunnah. Or they did not rely on the explanations which were given by the Sahaba. So they focused instead on logical arguments. And they would use these arguments, people like Zamakhshari and others of the major Mufassirin, uh, they use these arguments to deny magic to deny possession etc etc because they, were, they came mainly from a logical point of view rationalist most of them were more you know of the rationalist school and these are the people mainly who denied uh, jinn possession and magic but those as i said who stuck with the, the the quran and the hadith the authentic hadith where authentic hadith indicates something we don't run away from it and when the, Sahaba, the Sahaba and the Tabi'un, they explained, they described, they gave us the clarification of the, of the details of this incident, we submit. Because they knew best what was meant by these verses and how the Prophet ﷺ applied it. After that, 
we can use our reason. But we don't use our reason before taking from the explanations of the Salaf, the early generations of righteous Muslims who were closest to the revelation and who best understood what was intended by that revelation. So, uh, as I mentioned, the practice of magic uh, is related, and I'm mentioning it because it is related to a certain degree with possession. In both cases, the agency of the jinn is involved. As one of the great scholars of Tafsir al-Alusi, he pointed out, what is meant by magic is an act which resembles a miracle, but it is not, because magic is learned. And in order to perform it, the help of the devil is sought by pleasing him with abominable acts. Uh, the point is that the jinn may possess people for the purpose of aiding those involved in magic, those involved in fortune-telling and these kinds of practices. We have in the time of the companion Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, he pointed out that on one occasion he found his wife wearing a knotted cord necklace. And when he asked her about it, she said it was given to her by a Jewish magician that had, had put a spell on her to stop her eye from discharging, which it did. Her eye was uh, discharging some mucus-type uh, um, uh, solutions which were coming out of her eye and it was twitching and moving. She was having difficulty with it. She went to this Jewish magician and he gave her this knotted cord necklace and he charmed it and it stopped this effect. She was cured from it. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud snatched it from her neck immediately and told her that what she did was an act of shirk. This is very important because we hear of a number of cases here in Sri Lanka, for example, where people are identified as having been possessed, etc., and Muslims are taking them to Christians and to, uh, to Buddhists and to others to exercise them. But this is wrong because these people are involved in various acts of shirk. We cannot use their, them to cure our illness because their faith is based on shirk and their treatments are based on shirk. Shirk meaning they're calling on others besides Allah, believing in others besides Allah. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud told her that this act on her part was shirk. And he informed her that the discharge was caused by a jinn who had simply stopped affecting her eye once the spell was placed on her. So what you find is that in some cases some of some things which may appear as illnesses etc where we have people you know who have certain uh, afflictions maybe they're partly crippled or whatever you know because of the effect of the jinn on them so then they come to the uh, christian priest you know the minister who is one of these born agains and he puts his hand on them and says in the name of the lord jesus christ you may be cured and then the person is able to walk after that and do certain things you say what you know 
and this is the power of the Holy Ghost. This is how people are interpreting it. But in fact, it is only the jinn leaving that individual once shirk. That is because he's calling on Jesus as the Lord for help. That is shirk. Once that is confirmed, he leaves and gives the people the impression that that is what worked. I say this is part of the delusion. So, you know, as I said, that uh, exorc- uh, possession can be in a number of different ways. It can be partial. Uh, it can be complete. When it is complete is when a person uh, goes into what they call split personalities or multiple personalities. And these cases are well documented by uh, Western medicine. And they have no cure for it. Where a person displays another character with another name. Maybe that person normally, they don't wear glasses. When this other personality seems to take over that person, they need to wear glasses to read. And they talk in a different voice. Maybe it is a female's voice coming out of a man, or a male's voice coming out of a woman. You know, these kind of experiences, they have recorded, documented. They call them split personalities or multiple personality disorders, is what they call them. And their treatment is basically to put the person under drugs. They give them enough drugs that they're in a kind of a stupor, so they can hardly even communicate, you know, just to gain some kind of control over this. And in fact, even, I remember it was one case in, um, in Seattle, Washington, where a man who had this multiple uh, personality disorder, and he had raped a woman while in this state, and his, this argument was supported enough by medical evidence that the man was freed of the crime, that he was not in control of himself, and he was taken over by this other personality. Of course, they tried to explain it away from by using uh, psychoanalysis of the individual from his childhood, what happened in a certain point in the childhood when certain split in his personality took place and these kind of things. But the reality is that these explanations are just uh, guesses that they are presenting as to why this took place, but really how the mechanism, they have no idea. And their treatment, as I said, is mainly drug treatments, etc., which really do not remove these things at all. Now, coming back to exorcism. And we mentioned, I gave you the evidence uh, from the Prophet Muhammad's practice that he did treat that individual, that child who was possessed. The process of treating a person possessed and driving out that spirit, this is what is called exorcism. This is actually coming from a Greek word, uh, exorcizo, which means to bind with an oath to adjure. And this is what was the practice to make that spirit make an oath and leave. By God they would leave, or by Jesus they would leave, etc. The term in Arabic for it is ruqya, or ruqa. These are the terms. And it means to charm someone by invoking Allah. To counter a spell, or to counter a possession, 
by calling on Allah. The reading of the Quran along with it, or the saying of certain statements where we are calling on Allah for help in one way or another. It is forbidden in the course of treatment to call on another jinn, because some people, we claim it to be Muslims, who are going to treat people of this, who are possessed, they may call on other jinns, they're involved in certain shirk type activities, and they give the people ta'weez, you know, they call ta'weez or hijab, different amulets, etc. that they wear, tell them to do certain things, and you know, and then they will call on a more powerful jinn to drive out the jinn that is in the person. You know, this is one way that they try to cure, but this is not a cure, this is an illness, this is increasing the person in illness ultimately. So uh, the use and the practice of using uh, ruqah, this has been confirmed from the sunnah, but it must be pure from the elements of shirk. And we have a, an authentic narration from Auf ibn Malik, in which he said, we used to make incantations, ruqah, during the times of ignorance. So we said, O Messenger of Allah, what is your opinion on this matter? He replied, let me hear your incantations. For incantations of shirk in them are fine. So he clarified for us, you know, what are the type of uh, incantations we may use. And those which have shirk in them or any aspects of kufr, this is forbidden completely. Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, who is the uh, commentator on Sahih al-Bukhari, he said that the scholars are unanimous in their opinion regarding ruqah, that it is permissible if three conditions are met. That only Allah's words, that is the Qur'an, etc., or names, or attributes may be used. Secondly, it must be comprehensible Arabic or intelligible words in another language. That means that the, the person should not be saying, I'm going to use the words of Allah, but what he's saying over the person, so you can't hear any words of Allah there. They're saying something which is incomprehensible, it's unintelligible. That this form is forbidden. And that those taking part must believe that the incantation cannot have an independent effect, but it is Allah who causes it to have effect. Critical point, that in utilizing it, one cannot believe that it is what is being said, right? This is what is uh, doing it, so it like has magical power. So this name of Allah or this particular incantation is able to do this. No, it is Allah who removes that uh, affliction based on calling on Allah using His names or uh, calling on Him uh, using different uh, phrases, etc., which the Prophet Muhammad taught. Now. In terms of the actual methodology, we look at the method of the Prophet Muhammad 
because we have Muslims in different parts of the Muslim world practicing exorcism and doing a variety of different things. Maybe if you go to 10 different exorcists here in Sri Lanka, the Jin Maulawis, right? you go to 10 of them, all of them saying that we will cure by Quran and Sunnah. You'll find each and every one does a different thing. So the question is, is it a subject wherein we may treat it the way that we treat medicine in the physical world? Meaning, if a person comes to you who is ill, as a doctor, you try to judge what you think the ailment is and you prescribe a medicine. Now, 